Hey, my name is Jason. I'm the producer of Relationship Radio. I wanted to let you know that we have a brand new website solely dedicated to working on your pies. Introducing itstartswithattraction.com. You can listen to every episode, learn about the pies, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Go to itstartswithattraction.com. It starts with attraction, one word. It starts with attraction.com to get signed up today. Greetings. This is Dr. Joe Beam with Marriage Helper. Thank you for joining us today on Marriage Helper Live. We're doing this via Blog Talk Radio, and this is a program where you can actually call in and talk with me if you wish. Our telephone number is 657-383-0812. Let me say that one more time, if I may. Our number is 657-383-0812. And so if you wish to speak with me, you call that number. Now, when you hear the answer at number one, because by pressing that number one, then you actually get into the queue and we can wind up talking to each other. Now, before we get started with callers today, let me talk about something just a little bit, if I may. You understand that relationships seem to be the most natural thing in the world, and therefore we tend to think that it's easy. You know, it's all about what we feel. I'm going to use a Southern phrase. Everything goes wonderfully well from that point on. But relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is, actually will have ups and downs. It's going to have bumps and it takes some work. Even a relationship that seems to be as natural as uh, between, you know, uh, a parent and a child. Like, okay, the child is born and then we take care of him or her. And as life goes on, we communicate with each other. Certain things are communicated to the baby. Certain things are communicated back to me. And in the process of doing that, and it's just all natural and everything works out wonderfully well. But that's not always the case. It really isn't. Because, you see, people tend to think differently, and they certainly tend to behave differently, and often they will actually interpret things differently. And what we do, and it's just human nature, it's the way people work, is that we tend to communicate to other people in the way that we think best communicates to us. And so, therefore, if I'm the kind of person that, you know, the best way you can communicate to me, communicate to me is that you will be direct and to the point and those kinds of things, then I'm anticipating that's going to be the case with you. And so I'll communicate directly to you, get to the point, get the bottom line. And if that's not the way that you communicate, then typically it's not the way you'd like to be communicated to. And you may hear me as being rude, as being maybe even a little crude, like you're not paying attention to me. You're not really listening to me. And how dare you be so blunt and and hurt my feelings the way you do. And if my communication style is that I am that direct, blunt kind of person, you understand, then what am I doing? I'm thinking, wait a minute, I'm just talking to you, telling you like it is. How dare you react negatively to me? Don't you understand? And so even the way that we expect to be understood can be somewhat dramatically different with the other person because he or she understands in a different way. Now, I'm not trying here to train you to become psychologists or even seers or mind readers. What I'm saying is that communication doesn't always occur in a relationship, even if we love each other. And so what's my point? My point is that relationships take work. 
And if you really want a relationship to work, then what you're going to have to do is learn how to speak the language of the other person, at least understand, understand how the other person thinks or how the other person reacts. Now, if you can do that, it means you don't always think the way I think. You don't always feel the way I feel. You don't always do the way I do. But when people are when people feel respected, when they feel loved, when they feel liked, it's because of the fact that, hey, you can speak a language that I understand. Now, I didn't pull those three things just out of the air, the respect, the love, the like. That's actually very important. If you start looking at the research, gathering the research as to why people want a divorce. And John Gottman did that in a book called The Marriage Clinic, where he went through several studies about the motivations behind why people divorce. Now, you understand that you could look at it from what is it that they're fighting about. And if you do that, you come up with things such as my friend Dave Ramsey, where you say, well, people fight more about money than anything else. And in that sense, that's the number one cause of divorce in America. And if you look at what they're fighting about, he is absolutely right. Dave's an extremely intelligent man who really knows what he's doing. But we in the social sciences tend to try to look beyond that. You say, what do you mean? What we're trying to understand is what motivation is occurring. Now, if they're fighting about sex, if they're fighting about money, if they're fighting about in-laws, if they're fighting about anything else, what motivations are underneath that? What's happening to the emotions? What are they feeling? And so when Gottman started looking at the research that looked into those kinds of things, not what are they fighting about, but what are they feeling as they do, then he summarized those research projects and saying that most often, most often the people who want out of a marriage, male or female, actually will come up to one of these three things. Either I don't feel like that you love me, or I don't feel that you like me, or I don't feel that you respect me. Okay, now stay with me. And so in the particular research projects that Gottman looked at, he says 67% of women that want out of a marriage, two out of three, has 67%. They say, I want out of this marriage because I do not feel loved. I don't feel like my husband loves me. And that 59% of both men and women who want out of a marriage do so because they feel disrespected. They feel that they're put down, that the other person treats me as if I am not his or her equal, that, that I'm either made fun of or I'm talked down to. The way that sometimes we couples is I think sometimes my husband thinks he's my dad, or I think that sometimes my wife thinks that she's my mom, and I'm treated more as if I'm a child than as if I'm an equal adult. And so if you look at the marriage language out there and the social sciences, the way we study and research things, we try to tell people then what we're looking for is what's called an egalitarian marriage. And you say, what does that mean? It means that you're treated as equals. An egalitarian marriage means I'm not the superior, okay? I'm not the superior, and you're not the inferior. We're going to treat each other with respect and dignity. And so when you look back at that, then I'm summarizing all of this now, part of the work, part of the work that it takes, if you're going to make a relationship work is that it's not what I feel like, oh, I love him or her. I like him or her. And in my mind, I respect him or her. It's how is it being communicated to the other person? What is it that he or she feels? Does that person feel loved? Does that person feel respected? Does that person feel liked? And if he or she does not, then that can be strong motivation for that person to want to not be in relationship with you anymore. Now, this is not applicable just to marriages. It actually is applicable to any kind of relationship that matters. 
So who are the kids that can't wait to grow up old enough to get out of the home and go off and be on their own, or at least away from mom, or at least away from dad, or maybe away from both? It's the kid who feels, I am not loved, I am not liked, I am not respected. Who are the people that want to end friendships and get far away from the other person, go off and be by themselves? Like, I don't want to be with you anymore. I don't want to have any conversations with you. I don't want to go hang out with you. I don't want to do those things. There are people who feel they're betraying and being treated in such a way that you don't love them, you don't like them, and that you don't respect them. Now, I hope you're hearing that point. And therefore, if Back to my original point, say I'm the kind of person that just likes to talk about things directly because that's how I want people to talk to me. In other words, I just call them like I see them. (laughs) I I shoot straight, whatever terminology you want to use for that. And when I say to another person something so direct that he or she, rather than hearing what I'm actually saying, actually backs up thinking, wow, you must not like me if you speak to me in that tone of voice or in language that's that abrupt. Or if you loved me, you wouldn't talk to me like that. Or if you, you know, follow what I'm saying, I don't have to be totally redundant here. And so that's the lesson we start off with today. If you really want to communicate to another person, whether it's your husband, your wife, your son, your daughter, your mother, your father, your best friend, whoever it might be, understand that people may not see things the same way you do. And while you think I'm communicating tremendous amounts of like and love and respect, if the other person's not feeling that, if that's not the perception that they have, then that person in all likelihood is moving away from you. And if then you are the person thinking to yourself, well, this is all their fault because I know I love them and I know I like and respect and how in the world can I be responsible for what he or she thinks or feels, you can justify it that way if you wish and you can be that much focused on what you think and what you feel if you want to. But the bottom line is, here's they're going to move away from you. They are going to move away from you. You understand? They may not do it today. They may not do it tomorrow. But at some point, they in all likelihood are. Even if they wind up still living in the same house with you, they're going to move away from you. And so they may move away from you emotionally, intellectually, spiritually, and can even do it physically. What I mean is, even if they live in the same house, they don't want to sleep in the same bed with you if that's your husband or wife or uh, They don't want to hold your hand. They don't want to sit next to you on the sofa with the arms around each other because it's like, I, even though I have not lived physically in the sense that my body is someplace else, I have lived physically in the sense that I don't want contact with you and physically, intellectually, emotionally, spiritually. So you guys get that short lesson. Do you understand what I'm talking about here? It becomes extremely important and it is up to you as to how and when you're going to do this. It's your question. I mean, it's a question for you. Understand? All right. So we're going to go here to Adam over from Georgia. Uh, Let's see. I thought I was going over to Adam. It's not clicking over. Hmm. Let me try it this way. Hey, Adam, are you there? Yes, sir. Hello, Dr. Bean. And how may I help you today, Adam? Um, Just I got two questions. Uh, The first one is, uh, vacillation and uh, I've read it. Adam, I'm, I'm having trouble hearing you, my friend. Is are you on a speakerphone or something? Or no? Can you hear me now? I can hear a little better. Hello? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I can hear you a little better. Okay. Uh, no, my question was just about um, vacillation, and she recently told me that um, she just doesn't have feelings for me anymore. And if mm-hmm. I was counting on her feelings, it would be a long damn time. Uh, if, if I'm waiting on that, mm-hmm. and I know that there's such, such, such things as 
as vacillation. But we've been seeing each other for about six months, building a positive relationship. And I was hoping to see the vacillation lessen. Uh, when mm-hmm. does it stop being vacillation and it's just deep-seated that she's over it, not coming back? Mm-hmm. And, he, of course, you know that I can't answer that question for him because I don't know right. her. I don't know what she's going through. I don't know what she's thinking. I don't know what she's feeling. I, when we think about what people say, we often recommend, particularly when people are having some marriage problems, we typically recommend try as best you can not to react emotionally to what the other person's saying because he or she may be feeling that today, but may not be feeling that tomorrow. In other words, what you're calling vacillation or It may be that the person is saying whatever he or she is saying because of the fact that it would make it easier for them if you would just quit standing for the marriage, if you'd go off and do something else. And so there's so many different potential motivations for this, so many potentially different reasons that people do this, that obviously I, I, nor anybody else for that matter, can tell you exactly what it means. Does there come a time? When a person really does say, that's it, I'm done, I don't want anything else to do with you ever again, and the response is, yeah, that occurs. That's why we suggest strongly that people practice this thing that we call smart contact, and I'm sure, Adam, you're familiar with that since you're familiar with our material. In smart contact, we're saying don't do anything that comes across to the other person as manipulative or controlling or demanding. Also, don't communicate with the other person in a way that tends to indicate that um, I'm whining, I'm begging, I'm pleading. And so you continue the conversation where you are smart contact. Now, she may be telling you the truth. She may be saying this is it. It's done. I'm never coming back. As a matter of fact, you need to move on. The way that you ultimately tell that is with time. So rather than saying, oh, if they say these words, yep, they're done. Or if this thing particularly happens, yep, they're done. That's an impossibility. But if you keep doing what we call the smart contact and you continue to develop yourself, becoming as strong as a person as you can be, and you do it for you, then after a period of time, and I can't tell you exactly how long that is, but after a period of time, when she just continues to move on, et cetera, et cetera, then at some point you will as well. Maybe I can answer it better this way, my friend. We tell, we actually talk about this, that people don't leave what they have unless they believe what they're going to is better. I'm not going to explain a lot about that right now. But that same principle kind of holds true, well, not kind of, but definitely holds true for you. What I mean by that is that at some point, when people ask me, when do I stop standing? When I just, when do I give up and move on? And I can't tell you a specific time, but the general principle works like this. When finally it gets to the point where you're thinking, okay, it is actually better for me. In other words, people don't leave what they have unless they believe what they're going to is better. And when you can, if you reach the point of saying what's best for me physically, because of the way this is affecting my body intellectually, because of the way it's affecting how I think emotionally, because of the way it's affecting how I feel spiritually, because it's affecting my own beliefs and values that actually I have reached the point, not just a little low point that I'll be in for a day or two, but when I've finally, finally reached the point where it's like this doing damage to me and I don't see any remedy for this, then that generally speaking is when you decide to move on. So can we tell if she's vacillating or not, or if she's telling you the truth, Adam, I don't know. But because I know you love this woman, my recommendation, my suggestion is that you continue to be the safe place. You continue to grow working on yourself physically, intellectually, emotionally, spiritually. And if at some point it becomes clear that you 
two will make a decision to move on based on what I just talked about, then at least you're the best you you can be. Will you hurt? Yes. Will you mourn? You're already in mourning. You're already grieving the loss of what you had. But And we're not trying to help people move to second relationships. We're all about helping people save marriages. But if you do the things I'm talking about, if indeed this marriage does end, then you will attract the kind of person that you need to attract. Now, we hope this one works out. We really do. Adam, you said a second question. What is that? Yeah, and just uh, just to let you know, we are actually legally divorced about nine months and mm-hmm. separated just over, a, just over a year. But we've been mm-hmm. seeing each other regularly for about over six months now. We see each other, you know, weekly and so, and sometimes talk, you know, almost daily. Um, mm-hmm. We just spoke an hour today on the phone. So we, we have a, a, a what I consider a strong friendship. Mm-hmm. Now, the second question is just we both, I think, do have – some psychological deficits on both sides, my, myself and her included, that did impact the marriage greatly. And uh, how do you go about reconciling and and repairing something and and building something when you know those things are there? Does that compound uh, a, a reconciliation process or a rebuilding process, knowing that these underlying mental issues are there? I mean, you know, and, and not you know, the thing I've been doing is just not addressing them. And I know I can't yet, but I do believe that I've made a lot of efforts to address mine through psychological testing and therapy, and she's done mm-hmm. nothing. So I just wonder how, you know, at some point those things have to be addressed too, right, if there's real mental issues. If they're real mental issues, yeah. Now, mental issues is such a broad term. Can you give me a better idea of what you're talking about? Uh, yeah, I, of course, I know that it's, we're not supposed to diagnose people. Um, mm-hmm. I, I've been diagnosed with, with about a small percentage of, of, of BPD. I, I, I did my own testing uh, through a psychiatrist. I wanted to know what my issues were and I had BPD and, and DDP and, uh, this was done by a psychiatrist and I'm going through. So the psychiatrist uh, cognitive... said that you have bipolar disorder. A psychiatrist said that. Uh, 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 I'm sorry, uh, borderline personality disorder. Borderline personality disorder. And a psychiatrist told you that you have borderline personality disorder. Right. I took a, P, a PIA test, I believe it is. And um, but he's working with me doing cognitive behavioral therapy. And he said mm-hmm. my percentage of it is low, is low. It was like 35 uh, percent, you know, and he explained that it's, it's a bit. But, you know, in other words, I do have emotional issues. And I believe that she does too, and that was part of the problems in our marriage. And these are things that I really want to work on. I'm, I'm working on them with myself and trying to self-improve, but I don't think she's doing anything. So as you're trying to repair a relationship, which I think we are doing, uh, and we have a, a good friendship going, and I would like to build toward reconciliation, mm-hmm. uh, it really, is, is there anything – is it just going to be part of the building process that at some point – uh, you know, I can share with her or lead her somehow because I would like for her to work on her side of, of that. And I just don't feel like she is. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me ask a question too, if I may. And it seems like I'm going backwards here. I'm just trying to understand. Is this a psychiatrist or a psychologist? Uh, he is a psychiatrist. If, if, if I remember correctly, yes, he, he is so, a psychiatrist. Um, he is uh, a medical yeah. doctor then? I could be wrong. Uh, he, he He's a doctor. So he is a medical doctor, not a PhD, but an MD. Is that correct? Uh, 
I believe so, yes. But, uh, you know, again, I, I should know uh, Dr. Beam and, and I don't. But okay. You know, no, it actually makes a difference. Has he written you any prescriptions? That's a way to tell. No, no, he's not. He's put me on C- CBT therapy. Okay. So probably we're talking about a psychologist as opposed to a psychiatrist. And there is a difference. Okay. A psychiatrist okay. is a medical doctor. Okay. Uh-huh. No, I'm not, I'm not trying to question the credentials or authority. I'm just trying to understand who you're actually working with there. Because sure. if you're t- actually diagnosed with uh, borderline personality disorder, uh, that's a pretty interesting diagnosis because, um, well, I certainly can't diagnose you. Understand, my, I have a PhD. I'm not an MD. And my PhD is not in psychology. My PhD is actually in studying relationships about marital satisfaction and sexual satisfaction and that kind of thing. And so I understand my limitations, and I really don't want to go past my limitations here. In general, answer to your question is this. If there are indeed mental issues, your first part of your question was, can, does that become a factor in how you work things out? And the answer is, yeah, because if indeed there are truly diagnosable uh, mental disorders or emotional disorders, then dealing with those things becomes an important thing to do. Okay. For example, if you're dealing with a psychiatrist uh, and you're truly borderline personality disorder or as the first one when I thought you were talking about bipolar uh, disorder, then sometimes the psychiatrist will actually write some prescriptions that can help you deal with those things. All right. So yes, yes, they are a factor. And yes, but if I'm understanding your question correctly, what you're asking is, do you have to deal with those first before you put the relationship back together? And the answer is it's based on whether it's a true disorder or if it's the fact that we're just all flawed. Everybody has, uh, Flaws, and I'll just use that for lack of a better word. And and can a couple who have certain, uh, you know, I have a little deficit here psycho- psychologically or emotionally there, do they need to have those things made better before they can start working it out? And the answer is no. But if they have a true diagnosable uh, disorder that needs to be dealt with, uh, then sometimes you actually have to deal with that first before you can put the relationship back together. But what I'm hearing from you, Adam, is that the kind of things you're talking about, if I'm hearing you correctly, are the kinds of things that can actually be a part of the reconciliation process. What I mean is they don't necessarily have to be made better first. Okay. So you can, you can actually deal with these things as you put the relationship back together. Now you said for the last six months, things have been better. That's what I heard, right? You guys are actually seeing each other developing a friendship. I heard that. Uh, yes, sir. We uh, I did seven months of no contact because I was so traumatized, and then after, but she always reached out to me. So after seven months, mm-hmm. I began reciprocating. But I reciprocated mm-hmm. under the, you know th- that I wanted to try to reconcile, and then I found you guys actually um, mm-hmm. after about five uh, in beginning of January, I found marriage helper and Jared Pratt. Mm-hmm. And so, and, if, and, and if, if you're really at least communicating, me. if you're at least communicating with each other. Okay. If you're developing a friendship, then that's a great first step, my friend. I, if, if, if I were in your shoes, I wouldn't be demanding that she get psychological or psychiatric help. I would, at, at least at this point, how, if it were I, now you have to make your own decisions, you understand. But if it were I, what I'd be saying is, let's just, let's just take this one step at a time. Let's just see how this friendship develops. And if she says things like, well, but I'm never going to be in love with you again. So if you're hanging out thinking we're going to get married again, it ain't ever going to happen. Then listen to her, understand her, 
but realize that if you continue to develop the friendship, that is a possible path into putting this relationship back together somewhere along the line. Uh, yeah, that's what I'm, I'm, I'm learning, and it's still tough. I mean, we talked on the phone for an hour this morning, all friendly. Good. Yeah, Good. We, we, it's all been about 100% positive since I've been uh, with Jared Pratt since beginning of January. Uh, so, awesome. yes, I, I'm hopeful in that mm-hmm. regard, but I guess I just get impatient. You know, I mean, I want her to love me, and, it, and so, you know, it's tough. But. Mm-hmm. All right, my friend. Well, I suggest you just keep doing what you're doing, Okay. Okay, thank you, sir, so much. All right, thank you, Adam. Okay, that was Adam down there in Georgia. And uh, let me speak to something here just to make sure that um, I'm communicating and that we in our organization are communicating well, which is, uh, first of all, um, Adam said he went for a while of no contact. And we understand that sometimes you can be hurt, it can be difficult, and you decide, I just don't want an interaction with the other person while this is happening. And we certainly get that. And what we teach is not no contact. What we teach is a thing called smart contact. And, I, and this is not saying that Adam did anything wrong. Don't misunderstand. It's just giving me a chance here to talk about what this means. In smart contact, what that means is that you are not chasing. You're not pursuing. It doesn't mean you're not having interaction with each other, but it means that you're not bothering the other person. So for example, if you're, if your spouse that um, doesn't want to be in the relationship with you right now, and he or she says, don't call me, don't bother me, then we recommend that you don't. Now we know there are people out there. There's actually one guy who says, no, no, you text them every day because if they think you're not caring anymore, they're never going to come back. Our view of that is that if indeed the person said, don't bother me, and you continue to bother him or her, rather than endearing yourself to that person, you might be doing, as a matter of fact, in all likelihood, or doing just the opposite. What that means is, like, I told you to leave me alone, quit aggravating me, and if you think aggravating me is going to love you more, you think aggravating me is going to draw closer, mm, no, it's just pushing me further away. And so in smart contact, we say, when you communicate and interact with the other person, don't try to control, don't try to manipulate, don't do anything where the other person feels like, good grief, aren't you listening to me? Can you not hear me? At the same time, you don't whine, you don't beg, you don't plead, because that certainly makes you unattractive, which actually can propel a person the other way. But it doesn't mean you don't talk. It doesn't mean you don't have any communication with each other. It means you have communication that can be civil where the other person doesn't feel that he or she is being pushed. And so, you know, if you have kids together, you can call and say, hey, uh, old Charlie came home today and he got a C where he's usually been making A's in his suggestion on how we can help Charlie. Okay. And if your spouse reacts to that without feeling pushed or controlled or manipulated, then that's a good call. If, if, in, if your mother gets sick and, and your spouse has always been friendly and in good relationship with your mother, you can call and say, hey, I, I just wanted you to know mom is sick and uh, just wanted you to be aware of that because I know you loved her and liked her. Those kinds of things are okay. But if they're coming every day or, or if they come across as being manipulative where the other person thinks, yeah, yeah, you may even be happy your mom got sick. So you have an, uh, an opportunity to call me and bother me yet again, leave me alone, then that's going to work out badly. So decent active communication where the other person doesn't feel pursued, doesn't feel pressured, and certainly doesn't hear you whining and complaining and pleading for them to come back because your life is miserable until he or she returns. And so we teach smart contact, and we think that's very, very powerful. Now, you always do what you think is important to you. You understand? It is your choice. So you do what you believe is important to you, 
But that's the kind of thing that we teach people because we are quite convinced that that has the greatest and best likelihood of working is the smart contact. Okay, we were in Georgia, so let's move over to Alabama and talk to Josh. Josh, how are you today? Hey, Dr. Bean, how are you doing today? Actually, I'm rocking and bopping. And you, my friend? Yeah, Yes, sir. I'm doing well, doing well. Okay, uh, just, just to get started with my question. So my question is pretty straightforward, the uh, differences between forgiveness and reconciliation. Uh, just to give you just a little backdrop of my, my uh, situation, um, I, uh, me and my wife were married 10 years. Um, I uh, admitted, you know, to some infidelity on my part. Then she, mm-hmm. uh, she had a hard time processing everything, uh, but she said she forgave me for it. Uh, but yet she still wanted out of the, the, the marriage. Uh, I've done a lot of work on myself uh, individually, and I, I, I truly uh, have repented, you know, from my, from my action. Now, I, I think she did forgive me for that, but mm-hmm. I don't think she necessarily forgave me for the control in the relationship for, you know, there was a lot of selfishness on my part. And uh, mm-hmm. she still, we, we pushed through with the, uh, with the divorce, but she still wants to be friends. She, she wants to be cordial mm-hmm. and talk and everything like that. I'm so hurt right now because it's still fresh. We've been divorced has been fine for only a week. You know, I, I feel like I need distance, even though I know I need to be a safe place, but I feel like, Hey, I need to heal. But she mm-hmm. still constantly wants to talk and be friends. So I don't want to necessarily push her away, but at the same time, I feel like I need some, some space for me. But I guess my question is, especially coming from a, a Christian point of reference, if, Somebody truly has repented for what they've done, and you truly have forgiven them for what they've done. What is the the reason still to push forward with the uh, the divorce or separation? Why not reconcile? Uh, because I understand those two actions must take place for reconciliation to happen. But mm-hmm. why? Uh, but I understand you don't have to reconcile. But if if those two things truly did happen with forgiveness and reconciliation and repentance. Why can't reconciliation take place? Well, you actually gave part of the answer already there, my friend. If there's Mm -hmm. going to be reconciliation, then of necessity, there's going to have to be forgiveness. So I agree wholeheartedly, but forgiveness does not necessarily lead to reconciliation. Let me see if I can explain what I mean by that. Uh, I'm going to go to, go to a totally different realm and kind of get a little in, you know, it's it's, the illustration I'm about to give is not a pleasant one, but I'm going to use it because it can help me illustrate this. And then we'll come back to yours, which is not, not nearly as bad as the one I'm about to say. Okay. Let's suppose that uh, let's say that a particular, let's say that a particular man uh, molested a a little girl. She was 13 years old. And then later he repented and uh, maybe he went to prison for it. But he asked her, will you forgive okay. me? Okay. And so she, mm-hmm. she says, yes, you know, because of my beliefs, because of my faith, I do forgive you. And then he says, let's be friends. She's probably not going to do that. It's going to be, no, there, there doesn't need to be a relationship between the two of us. That's not going to happen because I have forgiven you. I'm, I'm free of that burden and I have forgiven you for it. But reconciliation is not in the in the cards for us because of the well cards. Now I'm being almost like a terror reader here. <laughs> Reconciliation is not going to be in our future because of the fact that I really truly don't want a relationship with you, but at least I'm not angry with you anymore. I don't hate you anymore. You know, I freed myself of that burden. Now, again, that's a lot worse situation than we're talking about here, but when people forgive and that's essential, essential for them to get on with their life. And I'm glad that she forgave you. What I'm hearing you say is that she forgave the infidelity 
and that she's forgiving some of the other behavior. But I'm reading between the lines, Josh, so forgive me if I get this wrong. But it sounds as if what you're saying is she's looking at you going, well, because of a lot of things, not just the infidelity, but the control, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not sure I can trust what will happen if we get back together. I'm not saying that you're a bad moral character. I'm not saying that you're going to go off and cheat on me again. But I'm saying the kind of relationship that we had was not the kind of relationship that I felt good in. And there was some pain in there for me. And so I've forgiven you, but I've divorced you because I cannot see a future for us together. Now, therefore, she's refusing to reconcile. You say, okay, from a Christian perspective, is she required to reconcile? And my thing is, no, I don't believe that that two people have to reconcile with each other as long as forgiveness has taken place. Like, for example, and forgive me for rambling a little bit here, we dealt with two different couples that went to the same little church, okay, and and uh, the wife from one and the husband from the other couple wound up having an affair with each other. They all forgave each other, but they couldn't all stay in the same church. The reason being that every time they walked in, the other two spouses were seeing that person that had been sleeping with my wife or my husband. And it was just like a torture for them. It's like bringing it back up over and over and over again. And so it was like, okay, at least one of you needs to leave and go to a different church, either this couple or that couple, or maybe both couples. And it's not because you can't forgive. It's not because you can't be Christian, but it's because of the fact that it's not healthy to continue to have that pain in front of you. So now moving on back to you now that I've given those two illustrations, if indeed reconciliation is ever going to take place, then my guess is, and again, Josh, I'm guessing because I don't know you guys, but my guess is that if reconciliation is going to take place, it's going to take place because at some point she begins to view you as different than what you were when you were married to each other. So that not just that I can trust him that he won't cheat, but I can trust him that he won't try to control me. I can trust him that he doesn't want to dominate me. The good news is that you still have some interaction and contact with each other. So that means that you actually have opportunity if you can be patient, that you actually have opportunity to demonstrate how you are becoming the best you can be physically, intellectually, emotionally, spiritually. So that at some point, and it won't happen immediately, and it certainly can't happen If you keep calling it, and I'm not saying you are, but if you were to keep calling attention to it, like, look, see how much different I am now. Look, see how much different I am about that. Look, see this. People tend not to trust that. But if you, with time, demonstrate, okay, I'm becoming even a better Josh. I'm I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, being what I'm supposed to be physically, intellectually, emotionally, spiritually. And with time, she sees that because you continue to have friendship. Then that creates the possibility. It basically boils down to this. She looks at how you acted before and thinks, and I'm again, I'm guessing here, Josh. She looks at how you acted before and thinks, I don't trust myself to go back into that because I'm afraid he'll be what he was before. So you demonstrate, actually, I've become a different person, not by telling her, but by demonstrating it over time, because it does take time to build trust back. And so is that a possibility? The answer is absolutely yes. Now, am I answering your question, or am I going the totally wrong direction here, my friend? Oh, no, you're, you're definitely answering my question. Uh, but but I would like to just kind of give you a little bit more background. You know, she uh, suffered, um, inf- not infinite, uh, she was, you know, raped as a child. Uh, and, and then there was a lot of mistrust because her parents really didn't do anything for that, and it happened again. So there was a lot of injustice there. There was a lot of 
uh, pain that she never worked on. Like she, she never worked on it and she buried it. And because of that, she does a lot of stonewalling and, and whatnot. And we actually went to your, uh, we went to the marriage workshop uh, about a month ago and it was, it was excellent. It uncovered a lot, but I will say, um, she, I asked her what was, um, I asked her what was the main issue, and she says, I just don't feel safe around you. Like, she wouldn't even get in the same vehicle with me when we were in Tennessee. I was like, what, what, what's the issue? So is she like, afraid you're going to hurt her like, physically, like, my friend? Is she afraid that, of you right. physically? Mm-hmm. So she, yeah, her perception of you is that you're a person that would actually do physical harm to her. That's what you're telling me? Right, but that I've never done anything like that to her, so it didn't make any sense to me. Right. I understand. But when we, when we try to deal with another human being, it's like, okay, a lot of things other people do think or feel don't make sense to me. But if we're going to make any kind of progress, mm-hmm. it's like, well, okay, but if that's how you feel, then I need to under, try, try to understand that you do feel that way. And if you don't feel safe being in the same vehicle with me, then we've got some work. At least I've got some work. I should say, I've got some work to do where that I can grow to the point where that you do feel safe and, and you won't be able, when you're dealing with emotions, you cannot overcome that with logic. And so if you say, I've never Mm -hmm. done anything that's been damaging to you physical in any shape, fashion or form. Therefore it makes no sense that you're afraid to be in the car with me. Logic does not overpower emotions. What a person feels is what a person feels. And a minute ago, when you said, well, she's never really worked on these issues, you do realize that you cannot make her do that. And if you do try to make her do that, she's probably going to react negatively. All you can do, you, and I'm sure you heard this in the workshop, we cannot change other people. The only people we can change are is, is me. That's the only person I can change. I can change me. And if I change me and you finally acknowledge it and then later you believe it, then it will change the way you interact with me. And therefore, that will make change over there on that side. So I, I hear your frustrations. I don't blame you for feeling frustrated. I'm sure I would be in the same place. But this is the kind of thing, Josh, from what I'm hearing, is going to require a lot of patience on your part and a lot of consistency in your own growth so that at some point she feels safe enough with you physically, intellectually, et cetera, feels safe enough with you that that friendship between the two of you guys can get closer and closer, which can be the possibility of leading finally to reconciliation at some point. Well said. <laughs> okay, my friend. My heart is with you, Josh. And I know that you love this woman and you want it to be resolved tomorrow. But unfortunately, it's not going to be resolved in a day or a week or even a month. And my suggestion is, my young friend, stay as consistently the good Josh, the wonderful Josh, the person inside of you that can be amazing. Be Keep working on him every day and don't tell her demonstrate, but be patient because first she has to acknowledge it and that'll take a little while. And then she has to trust it and that'll take a little while longer. Okay. Yes, sir. Okay, Josh, God be with you, my friend. Okay. Uh, I hope that you guys are understanding the principles that I'm talking about here because they become extremely important to all of us. You say, what's that? It's a matter of that. We, ourselves must be the best we can be for 
any relationship with any other person. If I'm going to be a dad, I need to keep growing and developing as a human being for the rest of my life. And if I'm going to be a husband, the same kind of thing. It's a matter of other people typically do not acknowledge things just because we tell them. And so if I say to my daughter, I love you, will she believe that? Well, hopefully. If I say it repetitively over and over and over again, I love you, can that increase her belief that I have? And the answer is, yeah, that's very possible. But you understand that whatever I tell the other person about what I feel is always going to be judged against the way that the interaction takes place. Now, I started this program by talking about that people want to feel loved, they want to feel liked, and they want to feel respected. And if the other person doesn't feel those things, I can protest all day long, but I do love you. Let me give you all the reasons that I love you. Let me give you all the evidence and the proof that you should look at to see that I love you. But you never can. It just doesn't happen that you can overcome emotions with logic. You can overcome emotions with time. And and forgive me for being a little repetitive to what I just said to the previous caller. But you live it con- as consistently as you can, which will never be perfect. You understand that? It will never be perfect. Nobody's ever perfect in what he or she does. But you live it as consistently as you can so that the other person is evaluating by watching you. I can tell you I've changed. But in all likelihood, I may have told you that before. Even if I'm only telling you for the first time, I've changed. You're looking at me thinking, I don't know if I believe that or not. We have a history with each other. And I'm going to be judging you based on that history because we all do that. And so what they watch for, okay, okay, I can see there's some differences. But let's see. Let's see whether those consistencies occur. You say that you're different. And right now you are acting differently. But let's see if you'll be acting the same different way. In other words, the improvement that you've made and who and what you are. Let me see if you're like that a week from now. Let me see if you're like that a month from now. And and for some people, because it takes even longer for them to develop the trust, it's going to be, let me see if you're still like that a year from now. Now I'm hoping, don't panic. I'm not trying to take your hope away. I'm hoping that it doesn't take a year, but people are watching. And so they want to see it consistently enough that first they acknowledge it. Okay. And they may acknowledge it the first time they see it, but it might take longer. Like, okay, I saw that today, but let's see if I see that next week. And then after they acknowledge it, there's even more time that passes before they trust it. Like, okay, I think that he or she really is a different person, that he or she's become a better person than he or she was. Now, I'm not trying to say that you were evil, terrible, wicked, and all those kinds of things, and yet you need a major personality makeover before you can put your marriage back together. I'm not trying to say that at all. I'm certainly not not trying trying to destroy your confidence. I'm not trying to make you think I've been this terrible person up until now. I'm saying that every one of us, no matter who we are, can continue to develop, become the better and better person. I do it because I want to be a better person. Now, you need to understand that's important because, you see, if I'm doing it only to get you back, then this growth, this development, this becoming a better human being, and we always talk about it in terms of physical, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual. Another way to say that, if you wish, would be body, mind, heart, and soul. If I'm doing that only because I'm expecting a certain reaction from you, because I am doing it, if I don't see that reaction from you, either today, tomorrow, next month, or six months from now, I finally will give up and go back to what I was before. Because if my primary motivation was just to get you to do a certain thing, and you don't do that certain thing, then I'll give up on it. 
That's why we continually say, yes, all these things will affect the relationship with the other person in some fashion. And hopefully, hopefully for the good, a better way, you actually do it for you. Therefore, if it does affect the other person in the way that you wish and he or she moves closer to you, wonderful. But if it does not have that effect on that person, or at least you're not you're not seeing that it has that effect on that person, then what happens with time is that you still become that better person, even if he or she's not reacting like you expected. And that's why we always say you do it for you. Is there a factor where we hope that it affects him or her? Absolutely. We actually hope that it affects him or her in good ways and helps you put back the relationship. We really truly hope it works that way. But in essence, you're doing it for you because you become the best person that you can be. I hope I'm making some sense out of that. But let's see. We've been, well, we've been in the South today. We were in Alabama and we were in Georgia. Let's go ahead and stay in the South, but we'll move over to the Southwest. Let's go to Texas. Hi, Stephen. How may I help you today? Hi, Dr. Green. I had a you... question about mm-hmm. vilification. Oh, can you hear me? Okay. Can you hear me, Dr. Green? Yeah, I can, I can hear you. I'm not hearing you really well, but I'm hearing you. I understand what you, I heard is, you say. Well, you have a better? question about vilification. Is that correct? Yes, I tried to call last week when the one of the callers was talking about it. Well, I just got served discovery paperwork today. And in that mm-hmm. paperwork, even though this never came up in our marriage, um, she's actually claiming acts of previous acts of domestic violence and named mm-hmm. off about 11 different accounts. Some of them, you know, I don't disagree with, but they are made out to be worse than what they actually are. Also, how I mm-hmm. remember them. And I'm not sure if this is the lawyer kind of inputting of, you know, trying to protect her and make me seem out to be the entirely bad guy. Or if she's just vilified me so much in her head that, you know, one act kind of bled into another. So it's just this is how he really was and is trying to make me seem completely evil. Um, we've been separated since June. No contact since October. Uh, divorce filed uh, in June as well. Mediation is set for the 25th of this month with divorce court set for April 1st. So that's where we're at right now. So I don't okay. know if you could just lead to something in that of because now it's in legal documentation, but it never came up. There was never cops called for anything that she claims. There was no protective mm-hmm. orders. There was restraining orders. Mm-hmm. None of that ever occurred. So for all of these accounts, supposed accounts of domestic violence to be brought up, I'm just like, how is this vilification? Is this still part of it? I mean, I, it's possible. But you understand, Stephen, that once, once it becomes part of a legal document, it goes beyond vilification. Okay. Now, when you say, you know, could it have been this? Could it have been that? I mean, why is she doing this? Why is she thinking that? Of course, nobody can answer that but her. However, when a person gets an attorney involved in it, attorneys are paid gladiators. That's what you're paid to do. And so is it a possibility that she has so vilified you in her mind that even though that you say you agree a little bit with some of them, but you think they've been exacerbated, they've been exaggerated, then it could be that in her mind, she actually believes all those things just as intently as what the attorney wrote. It could be that when she described them to the attorney, the attorney is actually using a legal tactic. 
And sometimes part of the tactics that an attorney will use is to try to get the other person off balance. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not an attorney. I do not give legal advice. But sometimes people will do that. Like an attorney will like, if I can scare you badly enough with the things that we accuse you of in some kind of a document, then you're going to be more reticent to fight back. Or you may just roll over and do whatever it is that we ask you to do or want you to do. So is it possible that she actually has it that strong in her mind? Sure, possible. Possible that the attorney interpreted it as worse than it was? Sure, possible. Is it possible that the attorney is taking whatever she said and making them much more intense as part of his legal wrangling? And that's also a possibility as well. Do you have an attorney? I do, yes. Okay. And have you talked to your attorney about these things in this document? Uh, no, my attorney, it was just sent over to my attorney as of yesterday morning. So I okay. just read them today, received them today, opened them today. So we have not gone, gone over them. Mm-hmm. And your attorney, uh, is your attorney a warrior? Is your attorney a gladiator? Is your attorney one who will fight? I hope so. I haven't gotten enough <laughs> um, okay. contact with them to know, but... Um, I did interview quite a few attorneys before choosing, mm-hmm. and she seemed mm-hmm. to be the one that would be best suited to at least trying mm-hmm. to make the outcome and fighting for, you know, what I want as far as mediation and trying to, you know, not necessarily convince, but bring to the forefront of, you know, what you have talked about of showing consequences or trying to impose consequences mm-hmm. for the divorce, not just giving it up. And my Hell Mary in the mediation is going to be the workshop, and she gets everything she's asking for, pretty much. <laughs> okay. You know, instead well, of trying to fly 50-50 and all that, I mean, that's mm-hmm. going to be – and I've already so you come feel, to terms with mm-hmm. – But you feel comfortable com- with this comfortable, attorney at this point. Yes. You feel that your attorney is a woman that you can trust. You feel that she's strong enough that she can do all the things that need to be done to to represent you and defend you. Is that correct? Uh, yes, as long as I cooperate with her and give her what she needs. Okay. Well, obviously, the attorney can only work off whatever it is that you provide. But my recommendation, because of the fact that she's now made it a legal issue, is to go to your attorney. And, of course, always be honest with your attorneys. And you can go in and say, okay, here's the first thing she listed. Let me tell you what happened. Here's the second thing. And here's some of the things you need to know. There's never been a protection order. There's never been this. There's never been that. And I don't want my reputation slandered like this. And so I need you to fight back. Now, if your spouse were to react negatively to that, like, oh, how dare you fight back? You should just roll over and, and do because I'm mad at you. And and if she were to even say such to you, like, yeah, I don't like what your attorney's doing. Here's what I recommend. I suggest that you say in reply. What you say in reply is, I don't want the divorce to begin with. I would love for us to be able to work things out. But as long as it's in the legal process, then I need to trust my attorney and I will follow what my attorney suggests and recommends. If you want to work out the marriage, great. Here's what we need to do next. I'm willing to do that. But as long as we're in this process, I have no choice but to follow my attorney. What we recommend that you do by saying things such as that is that let the attorney be the bad guy. Let the attorney be the one that she becomes mad at uh, because your attorney is a paid gladiator. That's what they do. But now that she's made these legal claims, or at least in a document that came from her attorney, as long as these claims have been made, I strongly recommend, my friend, that to the degree you can, you have your 
attorney defend you. I mean, make sure that the that it, the court knows, you know, this, that, and the other, and your attorney will know how to handle those things. So back to your original question, when you say, well, is this just part of a vilification process? Possible. Is it, though? And I want to put this thing in mind, something that actually her attorney's taking the lead on because he is a gladiator or she's a gladiator. That's possible just as well. My suggestion is, as best you can, do not react to it emotionally in terms of your life. And I know that's hard to do when people are accusing you of things. But as best you can, try not to react to it emotionally in terms of your life. Let the attorneys do the attorney stuff. Let them battle it out. Let them fight through these kinds of things. But I strongly recommend that you that you be defended in this. If you are not guilty, then don't let you don't let a judge think by whatever his or her, whatever your wife's attorney says that you are. And that's your attorney's job is to is to counter those things as best as possible. I wish I had a better answer for you. I can't tell you why she's doing it. I don't know. But I do strongly recommend that you, since it's legal, lean on your attorney heavily here, my friend. Would you? Yeah, I know what okay. I know. Thank you. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I didn't realize he was asking another question. I had already gone on. I am so sorry, Stephen. I cut you off there. My apologies. We may have time for one more call. I've got another couple of things I'd like to talk about, but if you want to sneak a call in, it is 657-383-0812. That's 657-383-0812. And remember that if you want to talk to me, because a lot of people call and just listen on their phones, which is quite all right. We're glad to have you do that. But if you wish to speak to me, when you hear that answer, then you press that number one, and that'll put you in the queue where we can actually talk to each other. Okay. And if you don't do that, that's fine as well. Now, let me mention one other thing. And I think I'll just, as a matter of fact, I don't know if I have time for another caller. I'll just wrap up with this. So stay with me because it's really important for me to explain this. If you are out there and you're working with one of our coaches, first of all, congratulations, because that's a brilliant thing to do. We have male coaches and female coaches that we have trained. Now, these are not counselors. These are not therapists. They're not attorneys either. These are coaches that can help you deal with what you're dealing with in the, temps, in the sense of asking you good questions, getting you to think things through, trying to understand your situation, and, and they will not tell you what to do. Uh, they better not. <laughs> if they do, you let me know. These people are not there to tell you what they do, what to do. These, uh, well, let me take that back. If you're, if you say a snake just bit me, what should I do? They'll tell you then they'll say, go to the ER. But you understand that when it comes to your relationships, they're not there to tell you what to do. They're there to help you think things through and to understand. And if you would like to work with one of our coaches, basically what happens is you schedule three visits at a time. Now all those visits don't happen on the same day. But you call our office at 615-472-1161. That's 615-472-1161. And you talk to one of our client representatives. If you already have one, then you ask for him or her. If not, they'll assign you one, and then they can help you find a coach that can help you. Now, I'm saying this in terms of this program because I want you to hear this. If, if you call in to ask me a question and you're asking me something that you've already talked to your coach about, and I, and, and I really don't want to speak to that. You say, why? Because I, I will not have as much information as your coach has. I mean, I'm talking to you here for five or six, maybe seven minutes. Whereas your coach has had sessions with you where he or she has been able to ask you a lot of questions, do a lot of interaction with you, and therefore know a lot more about your situation than do I. 
And I don't want to speak into something that may sound as if I'm giving you a different way to think about it than your coach is helping you with. In other words, I don't want to confuse the issue. And it's possible that I may, even though we're working out of the same principles, even working out of the exact same principles, it is possible that I may actually talk about something different because in our brief conversation, I get a different idea and head off explaining that. Whereas your coach who has a lot more information can help you a lot more. And so I really try not to talk to people who are also dealing with one of our coaches so that I don't confuse the matter. It's not that I don't care. It's not that I don't want to talk to you. It's we really don't want to confuse the matter. Okay, we'll be back on next Monday. Until then, may you have a wonderful life.